0: Welcome to the Fintech Today podcast with your host, Carlos Cabrera, where everything is unfolded from fintech news, personalities, and stories just for you. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Carlos Cabrera, working hard every day to make this podcast the best in the field and uh, fintech. And this is fintech today. And today we have a host that uh, doesn't need an introduction. She's well known in uh, in blockchain and fintech. She's hosted many, many events. Her name is Tracy Leparulo. She's the CEO and founder of Untraceable Incorporated. So um, I'm very excited and uh, welcome Tracy to fintech today. Hey,
1: thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Thank you. And I know that you have so many great things to share with uh, our listeners. I'm wondering, what made you realize that blockchain is the future? and How did you get started in blockchain?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I um, you know, I first heard about blockchain. I got started, I would say it was it was Bitcoin more at the time, but in 2012. And so back then, I actually used to go to Kenya quite often, and I started a microfinance program in Kenya. And uh, it wasn't until I came back to Canada when we were trying to send funds over borders that I realized how hard it was and how hard remittance was, and I started doing a bit more research on how you can send money over borders and really how you can help the unbanked. And so this is probably around 20, uh, 2011, 2012. And uh, I'm from Toronto in Canada, and here we get a place called Bitcoin Decentral. And so I got introduced to this place uh, 2013 Bitcoin Decentral um, where I helped lead the marketing efforts and I helped kind of operate the, the facility and, and worked in a company there. And that's actually where Ethereum started. And so very early on, I was really with the Ethereum team helping them launch. Uh, and so I ran the first Bitcoin Expo at the time, which had around 800 people. And that's the first time Ethereum really came out on the forefront and so uh, helped their team kind of get set up there as well. And so very early on in the space in Toronto, I've kind of seen it grown from uh from really this like small one, it was, it was a house. It was a house on a main intersection in Toronto uh, that we all used to hang out every day to kind of this you know, massive global phenomenon that's happening right now.
0: I believe uh, I actually, in 2010, I went to a location in Spadina. That oh. it's so probably it's the same one that you're talking about.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely that one. There's only one for sure in Toronto. Um, yeah, you would have recognized me. I've been all with bright pink hair.
0: Wow, that's exciting. That's uh, that's the early days. I remember those.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was uh, was a very different time back then. So um, I would say like what started and a lot of the audience that were there were there for the unbanked, were there for um, social, um, helping people like in social entrepreneurship and social enterprise, very libertarian movement um, and so very different than what's right now in space.
0: For sure. And what changes do you perceive this year in fintech and specifically in blockchain has um, COVID brought to the equation?
1: Yeah, well, COVID's a it's a black swan for sure. And it's changed a lot. I feel like, like I said, when, when blockchain or Bitcoin really started, it was a very, it was a movement. It was a movement of libertarians and social justice warriors and people that really wanted to uh, make the world a better place. But really when it started, it started as Bitcoin and Bitcoin was about currency. Then when Ethereum came onto the to the playground, they said, hey, there's a lot more things you can do than just um, than just currency, than just just finance. You know, there's a lot more different uh, verticals that blockchain can be used for. And so I found the last few years specifically, I would say 2018, 2019, it really started to focus on uh, supply chain and healthcare and all these other great ways that you can use it. Now, fast forward to like 2020, 2021, I feel like we're all the way back at the beginning where we're talking about like financial instruments again. And so I remember like back in the day, people like I would run these big volunteer meetings and I would have to, literally tell these people to stop talking about conspiracies because they were so conspiracy focused they were the government prints tons of money the government prints money they control everything they were so against centralization and i would sit there being like really like you know the government doesn't print that much money like come on guys like we're we're doing okay but I think with COVID hitting now, like everything that these that this audience kind of predicted and kind of would point the finger at the centralized systems, it's kind of coming true. And so I think COVID has now really opened people's eyes that you know the government can just continuously print money, which is going to have a ripple effect. Um, and even though we haven't seen it right now, what is it, it's February, 2021. It's for sure happening, the question is when. And so I think everyone's trying to catch up to it. Um and when this when this is going to happen so i think uh i think there's a lot coming down the line for um the future in, in fintech and blockchain
0: yeah for sure do you um what do you make of DeFi? do you think it will dominate uh, blockchain in the next few years
1: yeah like i think i think DeFi is already d- dominating it so decentralized finance um I would say a really big thing that's dominating the space is, is governance overall. And when you think about governance, uh, it actually has a lot to do with DeFi. It has a lot to do with security tokens. It had a lot. It has a lot to do with just general what goes on with voting. And so I think uh, I think DeFi for sure is is taking over kind of the planet right now. Really, it's also where our funds coming from. And so a lot more institutional investors are coming into the space, trying to impact how DeFi is. Uh, is working there, but um, yeah, I would say like I'm, I'm very bullish on Polkadot. I think Polkadot is like a much bigger picture that, that focuses a bit on DeFi, but can also help lots of other different facets. So,
0: I see. Yeah, and and uh, in terms of of uh, Polkadot, what um, what do you think is the difference between say that and and DeFi? So our old audience uh, learns more about it.
1: Yeah, uh, Polkadot is um, its a platform, it's a system, it's a blockchain itself. They allow to do uh, multiple sidechains on it, so it makes it really easy to build your own sidechain. But what I find is a lot of DeFi projects are now moving on to Polkadot because they make it very easy to do governance. And so uh, let's take an example like Polymath Network, where I used to work. They, uh, they've moved to Polkadot because uh, when you're issuing a security token or you're issuing... Um, Something that needs type of governance in terms of voting rights and dividends and all these different great things, Polkadot makes it really easy to do that. Uh, that being said, of course, the big dominant dom- uh, company dominating DeFi is Ethereum, um, which I absolutely love the company as well. I think the one thing, like you asked the question about COVID, and so I think, you know what's interesting about blockchain a lot about these digital currencies right now is that they actually have a finite supply and that's just so unique compared to any other currency in the world to say that this is the only amount of bitcoin that are there right now Uh, even when you think about gold uh, even that you know they can still discover new gold and things like that and i think that's like a very it's a very simple difference but it's fundamental difference of why bitcoin is doing so well and these cryptocurrencies
0: are doing so well yeah definitely these are exciting times in yeah uh, in, uh, blockchain and fintech and uh, usually i know that most projects are built on erc20s do you feel that that's, that will be the case in the next uh, 5 years because there's a lot of talk nowadays in the i'm sure in the projects that uh, you participate in and um and also the ones that I have had um, exposure to that uh, they, they, they're thinking about other routes uh, to build on. Um, yeah. You think that's the case? Uh,
1: yeah, I, you know, I, I hang around a lot of people who who live through the Internet days, although I didn't uh, as much see the Internet get built. Like I was on the ground level at the time. Uh, and they do say that, you know, there is always these, these wars on what platform you're going to work on and what's the, what's the bigger one. The one thing I know about Ethereum is it's just the community itself is not just a little bit bigger than everyone else, like a like hundred times X bigger. And so, you know, that I'm like an event person. I run these massive, massive events around the world. A good example that I see that is, is one of their events they call DevCon. It's a developer event for Ethereum. And and although there's many more people that come, and when I went to the one in Prague two years ago, it was almost like 8,000 developers building on Ethereum, going to workshops, learning about that. And I'm very confident that if any other top coin out there in the world tried to do a similar event like that, they wouldn't bring out 8,000 developers. And so for me, that makes me think like, this is a very strong project because if so many people building on it, there's also so much wallets integration to make it really easy to do that. That being said, there are so many projects that are working on inoperability, so allowing it to be easy to move between them, Polkadot being a perfect example of it. Um, and so I think, although Ethereum, I think, will continue to grow, I think there'll be other projects that will just uh, you know, continue to grow as well, and then projects that connect them. So uh, it's, it is amazing to see ones like Chainlink that are doing Oracles and Cosmos that are trying to do inoperability the other big thing is fundamental technology. No one's really talking too much about this um, as much as probably it should be is like the actual data and where the data is stored. And so there's a lot of good companies right now that are coming out of like the infrastructure level of, of okay, you're a blockchain company, but you're still on Amazon web services. Like how does that really decentralized? And so there's a lot more kind of infrastructure projects coming out that I think will, will change where people are actually building their projects.
0: Definitely. And yeah, um... What kind of uh, tech projects nowadays have sort of caught your eye, or do you think have a solid uh, future
1: in yeah. blockchain? In, in blockchain? Well, I guess obviously the, the big tech projects right now, just in FinTech is like the Wealth Simples and the Robin Hoods of the world,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which sometimes fall in line with kind of what people are trying to do in blockchain in the sense of giving power back to the people. That could be debated now, I guess, yeah. with, with GameStop, but... Um, So I think, I think some of the big ones, like I know here in Canada, like we don't really have a payments app or go to payments app yet. And I know it's definitely coming, you know, every country around the world, uh, especially in Asia, especially in Africa, I think even Latin America, they have more payments apps. So you can top up, you can pay. Like I, I, the, the big question for 2021 is central bank, digital currencies. So what's actually happening. We're printing all this money. Uh, at the same time, COVID's happening and they're saying you can't use cash. They're literally, I don't know like or if, where you're living, but right now you go to even all these Tim Hortons and stuff, like they don't let you actually pay with cash, which is a bit freaky in some sense. And so everything's going digital. And so the real question is, is the government going to replace cash, which really, it's, when you look at how much is actually out there, it's, not, it's pretty nominal. But you know, replace it to a central bank digital currency. And I think that will fundamentally change kind of um, fintech and our economy and how everything's going to work. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think, you know, upcoming is what's going on with payment apps and what's going on with central bank digital currency. Like Canada's been working on it for a few years. They keep announcing it'll be done in a few years, but it, it does seem like a race to the to the finish line. China has theirs already and uh, the Caribbean countries have had them for, for quite some time. So, I think that's going to be the real question uh, with COVID: is is these digital currencies in central banks?
0: Yeah, that, that's very true, and I believe that last year um, you started to the um, to hear a lot about uh, a U.S. digital um, dollar, which up until that time um, wasn't too talked about, and it was basically to. As you remember, last year when COVID started to send people the government money uh, quicker, and do, do you think, do you do you have any views on on how fast, say, Canada and the U.S. will will actually get to that level, say, as China in yeah. terms of uh, progress in that regard?
1: It's a scary thought, like. Listen, I, I have two companies, traceable and untraceable. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I like preach like what really should, what's th- what transparency is so important, but when is there too much transparency that your privacy gets in? It, um, there's, a, there's a line that gets drawn. And so China is a very different type of country. They're able to implement it quite easily. Um, Canada, I would say is very slow in innovation. It's super unfortunate. I wish uh, I try and push the agenda and I try even talk to people higher up about kind of these topics. And it's, it's unfortunate with how slow we move with this. Um, America, like as much as I have hope, ultimately they don't even have tap on their debit machines right now. Like you go to most of these, like you go to most of the states, like you can't even tap your debit card. So it's like to think that they're going to go and and get a central bank digital currency. But, um, quick up and running but at the same time like I think it'll be done in phases you know and unfortunately like I think a lot will come down to taxes and and anything that you can imagine that's ever on paper right now that takes people a long time I think this uh, will all be transferred to something digital so I I think the future you won't ever have to file the taxes I think the government will just know and just take it out of your bank account unfortunately I hope we don't get to that point but you know I think it, it could go to that extreme that it's like every time you pay for something it just automatically gets deducted like, like the beauty about digital currency is programmable money. And if you can program money, you can, you can do a lot really more impactful things with it. And you can, you know, there wouldn't be as much waste, but there's a, there's a fine line in terms of, you know, impeding on your privacy and, and, and liberties and free of liberty. So it's like this big debate right now. Um, but yeah, I think central bank digital currency, I don't think you hear too much about it because I don't think they want to talk about it. Because I think it's, it's too much for people to handle with all the COVID, you know, images and, and kind of everything in the media is talking about COVID. I think the, the I think people would lose their minds if they started talking about this right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. It's uh, it's too much on the plate.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I have to I know our audience is wondering about it. And I have to ask you, what do you make of this week's Dogecoin splurt and 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 then this this all this uh, craziness going on around it what's your view it's
1: crazy right so you know what it's it's funny because like i keep changing it so uh, like take a step back and think about gamestop and, and um i got so angry i was like you know what like you, you can't take down these these um you can't take down these stocks. Like, this is so like wrong. Like you're just letting you know the big institutions. I was all power to the people, tower to the people. And then a few days hit and a bunch of my friends lost a ton of money. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> shit. Okay. So maybe this is maybe this is why they were trying to say this, uh, to to stop this, because maybe although you know it's perceived as power to the people, are are they still manipulating the people? Maybe, right? They may be the wrong side of it. Now, Dogecoin, honestly, like, I don't know with this dog, like how this thing has gone <laughs> so crazy for so long. Um, I think it's it shows the power of the crowd and just the power of when people come together, uh, if they want to make something happen, they can do it. And I hope that power gets harnessed into something good. Right. I think um, I think you gotta be very careful out there if you're investing or putting your money into anything. Um, You know, probably an unpopular opinion, but like I know in Canada, like when COVID hit, casinos got closed down. Casinos has been open in over a year. And so I do think there's this and and sport teams were closed for quite some time. So sport betting, although that's opened up again. And so I do feel like a lot of those kind of gamblers have shifted to stock market and cryptocurrencies and stuff, unfortunately. And so I I do think people are gambling their money by and we have
0: to be very careful with things like Dogecoin. So for sure. Um, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and um what's what are your uh, future plans uh, you know in the next few years what uh, what's what's next for uh, miss Leperulo?
1: yeah you know what um so yeah so we run Canada's large blockchain events 3000 people i've been i run probably 50 to 100 events probably more from the in the The last eight years,
0: for sure, I remember. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think we're gonna do futurist again, no matter which way we do it. So we did it virtual this year. We Mm -hmm. had around ten thousand people, which was which was amazing because it was online. This year we're gonna try. I'd like to be one of the first COVID friendly events in Toronto, so still bring a mass audience, but make them six feet apart, and you know if they need to wear mask or whatever we need to be to be compliant. But I think, uh, you know, my, my goal is to always educate the new audience is just educate this uh, broader group. And so I, I focus really hard on, on different segments and bringing them to this really uh, safe environment where they can learn about cryptocurrency and not feel – and blockchain and not, and not feel um, – not feel like an outcast and, and i feel like a lot of spaces right now still do that it's like oh i don't really understand it so i'm not going to learn about it but bitcoin and ethereum and, and, and all the cryptocurrencies and just blockchain technology overall everyone should be able to feel like they can learn about it and so i want to keep creating a space that they can
0: well that sounds great and, and you definitely do an amazing job Your events are top notch uh, as uh, you know i have been in, in many of them and uh I could tell you, you can only, I, I don't know if, if you, if there's any room for improvement, but definitely <laughs> congratulations. And, uh, thanks. and thanks so much for sharing with, uh, um, our audience, your views, and we hope to have you again soon. It was a pleasure for me to, uh, have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. And I hope, uh, we could see each other in person again. Everyone listening can, can come out one day.